Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants using technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, I hear that you were at Scaling New Heights this week. How did that go? Yes, I'm still in Atlanta, actually. So I'm, I'm hanging out for a couple more days. I have uh, some a honey-do list to do at my mother-in-law's house. So I'm still hanging out here. But Scaling New Heights was uh, really, to be honest, I, it was pleasantly, surprisingly great. If, if that makes sense. Uh, I don't know how many people have followed, but maybe about eight weeks ago, feels like maybe 10 weeks ago, there's just a lot of, let's say, drama around Scaling New Heights. Uh, Woodard had a bankruptcy. They changed venues. People's hotel rooms were getting canceled. There was just a lot of uncertainty if this conference was even going to happen. And I think uh, like you could, it was definitely, you could feel like it was scaled back a little bit, but it was scaled back in that more of a grassroots way. And once the community was there, it was just, it was, it was great. All the, I've talked to every one of the app vendors, everybody was there, had a really good time at the conference. There was deep conversations. Um, we had a great time. We brought our app showdown finalist. Um, there was, I was, like I said, surprisingly, surprisingly, surprisingly refreshing. Do you travel this week too? Yes. So on Monday, I was in Indianapolis at the IMA conference. And then on Tuesday, I was in Minneapolis at the Minnesota Society of CPAs conference. So busy travel week for me, but uh, did it all very compressed and um, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I think for uh, one thing I think I like about these conferences or sometimes these travel weeks like this, I was just so like you get in the conference and that's the only thing you're living and breathing and touching for. 48 hours or 72 hours. So I admit it was kind of refreshing, like all this drama that was going on in the outside world. It's like going down into a nuclear bunker and then you come out and the world has changed. Exactly. Exactly. I did, but it was nice not to be distracted by that or kind of in a way like I'm encouraged now, I think maybe two or three days a month, I might just not pay attention to anything outside of like my own, my own world. It uh, would be, it's a kind of a refreshing break actually. Well, fortunately, we had come out of our caves of conferences uh, by the time the biggest news broke this week, which is the Supreme Court has overturned Quill versus North Dakota, which was the decision that governed sales tax in this country for many, many years, decades. So uh, now, according to this new decision, South Dakota and any other state can leverage or require sales taxes to be collected by out-of-state retailers. Previously, if you were out of the state, if you didn't have what's called nexus, which means typically an employee in the state or inventory in the state or some sort of physical presence in the state, you didn't have to collect those sales taxes when you shipped into those states. And, And those states have been losing out on a lot of revenue, big ones and small ones. South Dakota, it was something like $50 million a year in revenue that wasn't uh, being collected. Um, and it was a, a big problem for brick-and-mortar retailers because if you had a physical presence in the state, like a store, you'd have to collect those sales taxes. But if your customers went online and bought from somewhere out of state, then they didn't have to pay uh, sales taxes. Well, they were required to do so on their personal tax returns, but effectively nobody does that. And so basically they were getting to buy stuff free of sales tax. So um, huge implications for this decision, potentially lots of compliance requirements now on small businesses that do e-commerce because where they may have only had to collect sales tax in one state, now they may have to do it in many states. And um, some some really uh, big benefits for some of the sales tax automation 
software developers, right? Right, David? Yeah, I think there's so many takes. I think I have an article that's an argument about why this is so bad for small business. I have another article will get shared that like why Amazon wins in this, right? Um, I, I think the really the big winner is has to be Avalara. Uh, Avalara, I think, I think went public on Monday morning or was it last Friday? It was very recently. They go public, their, their, their IPO goes up like 57% or something. And then Three days later, the Supreme Court makes this ruling, and then Avalara's stock goes up another 30%. So Avalara is definitely the winner of all this, for sure. Um, yeah, congratulations to uh, all those Avalara friends that I have. <laughs> it's almost like they timed it perfectly. Yes, yes, yes. It's a kind of a, it's actually amazing that they that all this happened in the same week, their, their IPO and the decision that finally came out. Yeah. So it's interesting because um, the Supreme Court... I've been digging into this a little bit more over the last uh, day since this just happened uh, yesterday morning. And um, the Supreme Court didn't actually get rid of Nexus. They just redefined it. So now Nexus can include having a uh, um, subs- – they basically – I'm not sure what the actual wording is, but they changed the substantial presence definition. So now that can include shipping packages into the state. And in the case of South Dakota, they have set a threshold of – $100,000 in a year in annual sales into the state or 200 items being shipped into the state. And I, I've just been thinking about this going around in my head. And if you ship a lot of volume but low-cost products, you could very easily meet that 200 quantity threshold even though you're nowhere near $100,000 in sales. So this could really hit some smaller mom-and-pop type e-commerce retailers. If you're selling $200, $10 items into South Dakota, now you meet the threshold, you're only making $2,000 gross, and perhaps your profit margin is less than $200 a year, right? And and it may cost you that much, far more than that, just to file all of these forms that you've got to file now. And and I think that's uh, the argument Steve Forbes is making. This, like, the average small business entrepreneur is now going to have this burden that is, it's a very expensive burden to track this, comply to it for 50 states, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really, really, um, it's going to be tough, uh, you know, for small businesses, for sure. They're going to, they're the one that are going to feel the pain from this first. I think the hardest part is just going to be staying on top of all the different sales tax legislation that gets passed in all of these states. Now, there are a group of states that have come up with a, a standardized rules, but most of them, especially the big ones, have not. And Congress has the opportunity now to step in and do some national sales tax legislation. I, I think they should set up a centralized system for uh, collecting and remitting sales tax, and all the states can then you know, divvy it up amongst themselves, that sort of thing. That would be ideal, if you ask me. Um, but given how paralyzed Congress has been about many, many issues, I really doubt they're going to do anything. Yeah, that seems uh, a little dreamy, I think. But I yeah. do, th- uh, I mean, what's your take? Do you feel like a bunch of states now that have kind of kicked around this, somebody's proposed it, they, they probably have things like this, proposals that have came through on the shelf, right? Yeah. Is there just going to be like in the next six to eight weeks, every single state's going to be like, great, we want our piece, here's our sales tax rules. And like, just boom, we're just going to see this every week, five states come out with new sales tax rules. Yeah. You need to pay here. Well, it's a, it's a, it's an, they can't lose, right? Because it's the state legislatures passing legislation that affects people that aren't in the states or that are not in that state. So it's basically taxation without representation. It's a no brainer for them. Right. And Mm -hmm. 
I've been reading this uh, LA Times article this morning about the states that would gain the most from expanded e-commerce tax collection. Uh, California actually is the biggest one, uh, could gain anywhere from $1 to $1.75 billion in additional revenue by collecting from out-of-state retailers. And that makes sense because we have very high sales taxes in California. And so people try to avoid those sales taxes by purchasing from out-of-state retailers on, say, eBay or Amazon Marketplace, where they they don't collect the sales tax. And um, so it's a no-brainer for California to pass legislation. Texas is next. They've got you know about a billion dollars that they could be collecting. Then New York, Florida, Illinois, Washington, Ohio, Tennessee, and Georgia. I would be expecting to see legislation in the next few months from all of those states. Wow. Um, I think uh, a related article, this is how Amazon's going to win because Amazon, they, they kind of have two plays on this. One is they're already kind of set up to do this as well, but Amazon's really good at punting. They get to play that um, we're a marketplace and they kind of can punt this down to the third party sellers on Amazon because there's millions and millions of third-party sellers on Amazon versus somebody like a Wayfair or Overstock where they basically are the retailer. Right. Yeah, Wayfair, Wayfair is really screwed. <laughs> you know, I mean, one, of the, one of the big perks of buying from them is that, you know, if they don't have a presence in your state is you don't have to pay the sales tax and you get the free shipping. So you're willing to you know, put up with the hassle of not really being able to return these giant items because you're getting such a huge discount. And that's going away. One thing that's great, right? We do live in America, right? And entrepreneurs always figure out a way, right? And I, I think uh, there's a, I'll try and find it. There was a, a podcast I listened to about the duty-free stores at the airports, right? And people shop at those because you don't pay sales tax, right? And right. I guess there's duty-free areas on the ports, right? Mm -hmm. So, could there be some interesting, you know, could entrepreneurs start figuring out how to, somebody somebody might spin up some sort of distribution center in the ports of certain cities, like, or, or maybe at certain areas of airports. Um, and I could see, uh, you know, somebody's going to figure out ways around this, right? In very creative, creative ways. Um, that's what makes uh, America great. So something that has not been discussed widely in the press, but that will potentially impact accountants and bookkeepers and, and software developers dramatically is that this ruling not only applies to hard goods, to products, it also potentially applies to services. So South Dakota, if they wanted, they could tax services delivered from out of state to residents of their state. That might mean tax work. That might mean accounting work. Uh, I would be very surprised if we didn't see some states start taxing services delivered from out of state to in state. Um, I know that uh, state of Arizona on our um, our ballot this year, there's going to be an initiative that will write it in to our constitution that doesn't let the legislature ever pass a sales tax law to tax services. Mm, interesting. Um, so, so this is just, so it's funny that you brought that up because I think it's actively a table discussion and probably uh, state legislatures everywhere right now, like mm -hmm. taxing services. And you're right for our impact, these cloud accountants, because we've been telling people, Hey, if you go cloud, you could take on clients in any States in America. And now you as the cloud accountant, if you have 45 clients, now you got to deal with Nexus in 45 States that you didn't have to do before. Yeah. This is a yeah. uh, huge ripple effects of this. And I think we'll be talking about it next week and the week after the week after, I think this is not anything done anytime soon. Now this is going to be a big, 
impact ruling that has consequences for for years, and it's gonna it's gonna change how people do business. I think um, we're gonna see some retailers choose not to ship to certain states. We're going to see some retailers choose not to do online, and we'll we'll if if the services component expands uh, for for taxation, we're going to see some of these cloud firms probably choose not to do business uh, with certain states or be selective. It was already a challenge uh, with my cloud firm because whenever we had an employee in a state, we then had an income tax obligation there, and then you have to apportion your income, and you know that gets that gets very complicated. So. I know how that goes. I feel like Amazon early on in the e-commerce games, this is probably going a dozen years ago. I feel like one of the states wanted to tax everything they shipped. And I think Amazon played hardball and said, fine, we won't ship to your state. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that kind of killed it. But I mean, we're in a whole different uh, game about this now. The other interesting thing is the what people have to understand in the grand scheme of retail, I think e-commerce, even as big as Amazon is, I think e-commerce is still barely 8% or just broke 8%. So in, in the whole grand scheme of everything, most states are not getting, they're not getting a ton of revenue from e-commerce. No, right? but, but if you look at the trends and you see, you look at how it's growing, more and more people are getting comfortable with buying online. I'm an yep. early adopter and I buy as much as possible. Anything that I can buy that I'm comfortable buying online, I do because I hate going to the store. My wife is a, is the opposite of me. So she's a good sort of case study for the rest of America. She hates technology. She always resists adopting it. But even she has gotten much, much more comfortable with buying on Amazon and, and buying especially like clothes for our son. Like we buy all of that stuff online because it's so much easier than trying to go to the store with him. And if she's comfortable getting comfortable with it, then I think it's just going to explode. And so that's why this ruling was very timely. It's actually, I think it's a, I mean, if they hadn't address this if the supreme court hadn't addressed this it would have just ballooned out of control yeah i it's i mean i think we're still all comprehending it but i this is like one of the biggest things to come down in a long time and uh i can tie it back to like the election i heard an argument somebody made that when you go to vote this year at the polls you should just vote for only people that understand technology (laughs) <laughs> because the decisions like this that are going to keep coming down the pipe, there's going to be more and more. And regardless of your political stances, only vote for candidates that understand technology. Because if they don't, it doesn't matter where they stand on the other issues. They'll just make wrong decisions about technology. And it's just going to affect us even worse than any, any other political stances. Well, I can get on board with that. Hey, before we go, I've got one more fun story that's a little less intense than this whole sales tax issue. Okay. I'd like to share that. That's good. So this has to do with artificial intelligence, machine learning. It's a story in uh, MIT Technology Review from June 15th. The headline, a machine has figured out Rubik's Cube all by itself. And that caught my attention because, um, you know, I've always played with Rubik's Cubes on and off. I've never actually owned one, but I've always been really impressed by the people who can solve them very quickly. And I've always, I sort of had You really have never owned a Rubik's Cube? We have to stop right here for a second. You've never (laughs) owned a Rubik's Cube? I've never owned a Rubik's Cube. Um, Maybe I'm a little bit intimidated, but I've never like gone online and learned how to solve it. I know there's YouTube videos that will show you how to do that, but I've always, it's sort of been like on my bucket list of I want to get a Rubik's Cube and I want to figure out how to do it on my own without anyone teaching me. Well, (laughs) uh, it looks like the machines have beat me to it because... Uh, An artificial intelligence, or it's actually called a deep learning machine, has figured out how to solve a Rubik's Cube all by itself. Uh, In the past, 
we've we've of course had computers and programs that have we've taught how to solve Rubik's cubes, but that's because we've given it clues and or, you know given it an algorithm or whatnot. So in this case, uh, a, a, a computer was given the Rubik's cube and was was not given any clues. It had to learn how to do it itself. And it's interesting the way they did it was they had the computer go from the backwards. So it's they had it learn how to solve the Rubik's cube by starting from a solved Rubik's cube and then messing it up. And then once it had learned how to how that, all that worked, it was able to put it back. Uh, and so that's an interesting approach because that's how actually it works uh, in real life. Is you um, you envision the completed product, right? You envision what you want to create or what you want to accomplish. And then uh, often you will work backward from the completed state to your current state to figure out a path to the uh, solution. And and the computer did it the same way. Interesting. I think I saw um, there's kind of this uh, independent hacker that uh, he's, teach, he's creating a self-driving car, right? And his self-driving car is just almost as good as Tesla's. And he did it from that way. Like, he just has it pay attention to how he drives and it just learns from proper mm. driving instead of trying to program every, you know, like distance to stop signs and program like this is a stop sign. This is not a stop sign. This is a yield sign. Like it just learned from watching him drive essentially. Yeah. Well, and that's how human beings learn. So, you know, you think it would, it would work with computers and it does. Uh, the thing that's kind of uh, scary about this algorithm is that it, it is able to solve 100% of randomly scrambled cubes while achieving a median solve length of 30 moves, which is less than or equal to solvers that employ human domain knowledge and is way, way faster than almost anybody can do, except people who are really, really good at Rubik's Cubes. I don't know. My, my, my boys, I think for a while, last summer, there was the thing, Rubik's Cubes, and I think he got it down to like 106 or something he could do a Rubik's Cube in. Um, and I'm telling you though, Blake, I know you're a little younger than me. If you're going to do this, you got to do it now because it's hard to memorize these algorithms when you cross 40. It's just, it's very, very hard. So you better buy your Rubik's Cube, get online, pay the sales tax, order it, and get your Rubik's Cube as soon as you can. All right, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. Unfortunately, I missed the I think I missed the boat for getting it tax free, and um, <laughs> you know we'll have to leave it at that. I've got to do some work today, and I know you you're a busy guy, so uh, I'll I'll look forward to seeing you next Friday. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, wow, uh, everybody go research about sales tax. Yep, and connect with us online to continue the conversation. I'm at Blake T Oliver on Twitter, and I'm on Twitter at David Leary. We look forward to hearing from you, and uh, thanks for listening. Later, Blake. Bye.